Hello, everyone, and welcome to season four of Legal Wolf's mental health podcast. Just for those of you who are unaware, Legal Wolf is an initiative founded by Steve Lawler, who is a mental health solicitor and managing director of Lawler's Law Limited. His goal is to inspire and to help as many people as humanly possible. As for the podcast itself, it has over 26,000 listeners, and I am one of many co-hosts. My name is Wendy Lynn Decker, and I am a writer, English adjunct, and the author of Sweet Tea, a novel inspired by true events growing up with a single parent with mental illness. Today, our guest is Dr. Karen Daw. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for being with us. If you don't mind me calling you Karen, you're Dr. Of, of course, of course. I appreciate it. Thank you, Wendy. Um, please, um, yeah, well, congratulations on your upcoming book uh, due to be out in January, uh, Building Psychological Fitness. And, yes. there, and what's the tagline on that? The um, how, how high achiever or how high performers achieve with ease. Well, that it sounds wonderful, and um, I'm very excited uh, to to hear about it. And um, those who are interested can pre-order it, but it's not due out till January. And um, can you tell me uh, a little bit, tell our listeners uh, about the book? Sure, great. So um, the subtitle we have played around with so many times in reinserting language, which is why I had to pause for a minute to see to remember which one we landed on. I did a lot of. Um, a lot of book interviews with people that are kind of my target audience. And I really tried to pull language from what they were really looking for in terms of the pursuit of mental health and psychological fitness and what that, what their language is, because I wanted to say something about, you know, how do we thrive and flourish? And my publisher's feedback was people don't necessarily know what that means, even though I said, well, my people know what it means. So, so the language of achieving with ease really came from the idea that high achievers, high performers um, tend to push themselves, they want to exert and perform, and that's all great, yet really, and what they want is to feel at ease at the same time. And so the book is really psychological practices, evidence-based, science-backed practices to help foster mental and emotional well-being, which is, I encapsulate as the term psychological fitness. I love it. I love it because, I mean, to be well is well-rounded and it's mentally fit as well as physically fit. And if you could do it with ease, I'm definitely uh, down for an order of that book because um, I think for people who are wrap tight or and overachievers need to learn how to relax and still be able to do it so you must have some really good tips in there um, well i'm i'm hoping i'm hoping that you know we get the message out that we can thread the needle like we don't need to compromise our standards or sacrifice quality you can still be a high performer and a high achiever without all the unnecessary distress and overwhelm well it sounds like good stuff to me. <laughs> um, is this your first book? This is my first book. Oh, well, congratulations again. Um, as a, a writer myself and author of a book, I know how much work it takes to get to that. And I know how many people are involved. And I, I joke to my friends and I say it takes a village to write a book, <laughs> let alone right. raise a child. So. 
Absolutely. And I, I certainly have tapped my village and have leaned into my community and have gotten a ton of support from family and friends and, and my clients, my former clients, my current clients have really been amazing in supporting the promotion of my book and, you know, getting the message out to enhance mental health awareness in the workplace. Well, that's great. You have such a platform with your, your clients already, um, you know, cheering you on and interested in reading, uh, getting to spend more time with you via your book. So um, why did you write the book? Uh, aside from the fact that that's your, your, your business and, and you want to help people, but what inspired you to write a whole book? Yes. So, and it has really been, you know, a work in progress and piecemeal modules and things that I've already used in many of my group programs. So really it was a matter of assembling and collating and curating. But I really, where the energy came from was in this last year and a half, um, talking to so many people in coaching conversations and repeatedly hearing how, how much people were struggling and how difficult with all of the uncertainty, how difficult everything has been. And, um, you know, I, the, the language that I would continually hear from people is I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted, I'm struggling, I'm unmotivated. And the energy around the book really came from the add-on, which is that people really felt like they were the only one. And that is where I got the idea. And a publisher reached out and said, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, yes, I kind of have. And this seems like a serendipitous time to do it because I feel passion around just the awareness piece of it and giving people permission to be able to speak up and say when they're not okay. There's a lot of fear. I would hear a lot of fear about people not wanting to tell their managers um, because they don't want them to think they can't handle it. Everybody else sort of looks like they're killing it and, you know, tap into social media and see other people's highlight reels. Um, it's, I mean, as we know, everyone has been compromised this, this last year and a half. All the uncertainty has been incredibly stressful. Yeah. I mean, you know, so much has changed because of, of the pandemic in the workforce and um, it's, uh, there's so much room for improvement. And I like how um, you talked about giving permission uh, to people to share their fears because we are, there's not one person on the planet that hasn't had to deal with fear this last year and a half. And um, the fear of the unknown is uh, just as scary as the fear of what's in front of you. And I think this is really interesting uh, that you're going to share in your book or that you are sharing in your book, how you can help people. Um, how can you help someone who is uh, dealing with, with fear? Well, the, there's, you know, the fear right now is around the uncertainty, but also the, the anxiety that there are so many elements right now that we can't control. And I think that's really has raised the, or elevated the level of, of negative stress that people are experiencing right now is we don't know where we are on the arc of the pandemic. And every time we feel like we're turning a corner, something else seems to happen. Um, so I think it's just this, this state of disruption. So what can we do? I mean, I be really believe that all of the personal development that we do, we can do in solitude and reflection, yet really the magic is in doing it with each other and building community and connection and support and creating safe space 
for people to come together and figure it out together because nobody's really cracked the code on this yet. So are you talking to um, individuals as well as uh, organizations and companies for their employees? Uh, is that who your market is? Uh, what, I mean, is it all of the above or do you gear more toward one than the other? I mean, it's a, it's a really great question. Um, traditionally, I've operated as a consultant. So I've always, I'm a psychologist, but I have always dealt with um, organizations and the workplace. So I don't operate as a therapist. I still am in the mental health space, of course, but uh, mental health at work. So traditionally I have targeted organizations to do various consulting work. And then I would say in the last year and a half, I have expanded more to working with individuals and bringing individuals together just in terms of individual coaching and group coaching. So long answer to a, a simple question, both. And, and, and you're, is there a, a particular age bracket that you mostly speak with or is it across the board? I mean, I, I mean, there's the millennials that are out there and, and then the, then even younger, I, I deal with students that are just entered college who just left last year of high school, which wasn't even real. That's the way they see it. And, uh, they're facing a lot of uh, fears and, and worries about their future. Do you speak to uh, people of that age group? Well, um, I have five kids, ages 14 oh. to 21. So I certainly oh, speak wow. to them and have lived that real time. Um, and you know, one of my kids fell into that. She's a current sophomore in college. So she fell into that group of seniors that missed out on you know, the rest of their senior year and their freshman year of college. So um, certainly up front and center, familiar with the challenges, um, also have a personal passion for mental health awareness with adolescents. Um, and so I have personal investment in that space, but really professionally, I work with professionals. So anyone that's in the workplace, typically people 20s and above, and I would say all age groups. That's wonderful. And that's, that's terrific knowing you have children because they're being raised by a parent who is very uh, self-aware and mental health aware. And a lot of parents are struggling so much. The ones that don't have these uh, skills and capabilities of knowing how to tap into um, understanding how to talk to their child with the unknown. And how would what would you say to a, to a parent who's struggling, trying to maybe calm, calm the fear of their child of not knowing what the future is? I know that's kind of a broad question, um, just or even well, from your own experience. Um, and I know this is off the book. Uh, this is more no. young people, but I guess because I have a vested interest in young people, I'm kind of curious myself. It's a big gap and it's in my space. I mean, again, it's in my, my passion space, so um, it needs to be talked about. Uh, what I would say, is, I mean, there's a huge gap and I think parents, teachers, communities, um, everybody is trying to kind of figure that out. What, what do we best do to meet the mental health needs of youth and adolescents, just with all of the skyrocketed numbers of suicide and adolescent psychiatric beds are full in most states. I know they are, I'm in Minnesota, they're 
it's a huge challenge here. So there's like a demand capacity. It's a good thing that more people are seeking help, yet problematic that we don't necessarily have the resource to respond. Um, and I'm hoping that we're moving the needle on that. But in terms of what can parents do, I heard from at least 50 families in my community in the last year and a half, just with general questions. No, they know I'm a psychologist. They don't really know what I do, but they don't know where else to go or where to turn. And there were a lot of very practical questions like, okay, my kid's having anxiety. Where do we go for help? Where, where do we even go? So there are like, there are those practical questions. I mean, when in doubt, what I always suggest is get therapeutic intervention whenever possible. So somebody calls and says, okay, my kid is depressed. They're refusing to get out of bed. They're not showing up for their meetings. Do you think that we should get help? Yes, always yes, yes, yes. Find a therapist, a counselor, call your insurance company, tap your employer, EAP. Um, there, I, I, every few months I will post like universal crisis numbers um, because it, that, that information should be accessible to people. And in terms of what can parents do directly, I think validate and acknowledge the struggle and even being vulnerable and speaking to our own struggle. Is you know, I was just going to ask you that. I mean, how do you feel about a parent who wants to, who's vulnerable to their own child? I mean, their child's already fearful about what their future is about. And then to, you know, is that adding fear on, onto them as well? Or is it basically saying, you know, it's okay. I have fears too. And, and, and does it open um, doors and a, and a platform for communication? Um, I would say my opinion is yes, with discernment. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to bear our souls to our children and there are appropriate filters that we should be using that kids can only handle so much. So we want them to feel okay and we want them to know it's going to be okay. We may not feel okay right now, yet it's going to be okay. And, and just giving them the safe space to express themselves and to name their feelings. And I know that sounds a little, um, a little woo-woo to some people, but there's really power in that. People want to be, need to be heard. What are some techniques that, that you would um, offer uh, even in the workplace for some of the people who are dealing with fear and uncertainty um, to, like you said, the, the woo-woo, um, what, what would that be? Uh, well, what I really believe is in all organizations, it has to come from the top. So senior leadership has to be committed to workplace mental health awareness, and they have to be the ones to speak up, to speak to the topic, to at some degree, again, acknowledge their own struggle and vulnerability and show that they're also asking for help um, because frontline people aren't gonna necessarily be the first to seek out help. They're afraid it's gonna be used against them. Or if I tap my EAP, is that gonna be in my performance review? Who's gonna know about that? And all of that, those services um, are and should be confidential. Yet again, there's still fear and um, in some companies, the utilization rate is still lower than what the needs are. So I think first and foremost, that um, acknowledgement and investment and willingness to 
create safe space or what we call now brave space um, for employees to be able to speak up and, and indicate what they need, I think is really important. That, that is, and I, I agree with you that it has to come from the top. And if you have, um, I mean, you, the training needs to be given to CEOs and, and, and in company um, managers, or I mean, all up in the executive areas in order for them to let those beneath them know that it is safe. And have you come across anyone that might say, well, my executive team is not on board with this. They want to keep things the way they are. They really don't have much, uh, maybe there's no funding to bring somebody on to sh uh, give a discussion, share discussion and techniques, how to do things. What happens when you come up against someone who's not open-minded? Well, I um, right now, I think we'd be hard pressed to find any executives that would say we don't care about this issue right now because it is top of mind. And if nothing else, this is like an ROI business bottom line issue that if your people are struggling, your, your company's going to struggle. So I, I would have a hard time thinking any leaders are going to overtly say, no, we're not interested in investing in this. Um, and um, those that follow through and really make it a priority and put their money where their mouth is, it's an investment. It's an investment of time. The, the subject needs time. It's an investment of cost. And there isn't a one size fits all. And so, you know, what's this is, and again, we're sort of like learning real time because no one, we have not lived through yeah. a pandemic before. And so I think leaders are trying to communicate with each other and tap resources and learn from one another about what's working in your organization. And from what I've learned, it's there isn't a magic sauce, there isn't a magic script, yet it's critical for leaders and managers to really convey that they care for their people. So this whole, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? There's no perfect way to say that. It has to be genuine um, and really to provide a menu of options for employees. It's not everybody is gonna want therapy. Not everyone is gonna tap into counseling, um, but having that awareness, educating managers to watch for red flags or problems. There's something called presenteeism now where people are still showing up for work yet they're not nearly as effective or performing at the level that they typically would. And so it can be hard to recognize. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense, presenteeism. I, I mean, there's days where I, I can see myself struggling and, I, and the simple tasks I'm bouncing around. And I, and I don't think it's any particular reason. I do think that it's just compounded from living in this environment for a year and a half of uncertainty. And um, on that note, so if someone um, was dealing um, in, in the situation at work with burnout, stress, and current affairs, um, and, and how, how it is impacting people, their mental health and their well-being, um, how could they come to their employer instead of if the employer didn't come to them first and present, we have this you know person here, we're going to start this new movement in our company, but they they want to bring it them to they want to bring their you to their employer That's the other way around if it didn't come from the top and that brave person wanted to be the one to introduce you into their organization. 
Yes, and I'm glad that you used the word brave because what was coming up for me is who would have the courage to to step forward and and ask for help. Um, I mean, first of all, what I would say is, again, we're all compromised and we are not flawed. There, there isn't anybody that's you know unaffected and there's shared accountability. So organizations, I believe, have a responsibility to provide some of the support to meet the needs of their employees. And employees also have the responsibility to communicate to their leaders what they need because the leaders aren't can't read their minds. So there is shared accountability um, that they all need to come together um, to figure out what's going to be the right solution and the right sized resource or option. And so how would I suggest doing that? I would suggest finding a safe manager, finding a safe leader, somebody that you know, and tap, tap them and say, I, I need help. No, that's true. You have to be brave. Um, and so going back to your book, um, what is one of the chapters that you, you, or have a lot of passion for that you, you like, you know, some with a, a book that's a nonfiction like this and um, you're able to skip around. But if there was a chapter in there that you would say, please don't skip this chapter, what would that chapter be? Oh, I don't know that I, I don't know that I have a favorite chapter because I think these, what I'm doing is highlighting practices. And I think, again, there's no one size fits all. And it's really a matter of people learning what are the options and practices to manage mental health and increase resilience and well-being. And, and it's an iterative process. It's a verb. There is no one size fits all. I would say the message that I would want to focus on, and, and throughout the book, I have vignettes or like case studies of examples of real I clients. Love I love that. Yes, who have all given permission for me to anonymously yet, you know, share their their versions of their story, um, because that's, I think, really the power of it is being able to present, hey, here is, you know, Susie Q, and this is what her situation was, and here's what she was able to apply, and it was helpful for her, and it so it just provides more opportunities for it to be relatable to people that are on varying parts of their journey. So if I had to highlight a couple things, one, it would be really the book applies to everybody, no matter where you are on your mental health journey or where you are on the well-being spectrum. So well-being spectrum would be, you know, on one end, the green zone, people are excelling and thriving and flourishing and doing great and feeling awesome. And then there's the big vast area in the middle, which Nowadays, we've heard the term languishing, which might capture that where, okay, I'm not mentally ill. I don't have clinical symptoms of depression, anxiety, but I'm meh or blah, or, you know, not performing as I'm accustomed to. And then on the other end, the red zone would be when we're talking about, you know, clinical diagnoses or mental illness, um, which could be anxiety, depression, addiction. Um, so what I would say is no matter where we are on that spectrum, if we are intentional about engaging some of these practices, we can move up. So even if we're, it's not necessarily sufficient, if you're in the red zone, you'll need more comprehensive care, but no matter where we are starting, we can impact our journey. So we can enhance and boost our well-being 
uh, if we're really intentional about it. That, that's that's very important, obviously. Another thing I want to ask you, if you could tell our listeners, because I get this from people I talk to all the time, they get confused with the difference between a licensed therapist, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist. And could you share what the difference is between each one for the listeners? Sure. And and there are, there are many levels and um, flavors of licensed clinicians. The, the most distinct um, differentiation is psychiatrists are medical doctors. So they go to medical school and they're able to prescribe medicine. And then there are all sorts of different variations of doctoral level psychologists and each state has a somewhat different differentiation. So you can be a licensed um, social worker who can provide therapy. You can be a licensed counseling psychologist uh, my background is I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, so it, it depends on the state. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are licensed family and marital therapists. So there are many different variations, um, but the key distinction is between a psychiatrist and then a mental health clinician. Now, in your book, do you talk to um, your readers about when they may need to visit a, a, a doctor who can offer the medication in addition to uh, therapy, um, like those different areas, the red and the green and yellow, I suppose, like does, does it specify when they might need more than just uh, speaking to somebody? Yes, yes, I would say not in tremendous detail, but it certainly is addressed the importance of finding a right-sized intervention for what our challenges are. Mm because a right-sized intervention to enhance mental health is gonna be different for somebody in the orange or yellow zone than it is for somebody in the red zone. And that's really important. And, and in the realm of psychiatry and psychology, there isn't as much precision as there is with um, you know, physical medicine. And that can create some angst and ambiguity. So for example, if you break your leg, it's pretty clear what the treatment path is and what the diagnosis is. So with mental illness, we don't quite yet have that same level of precision. Um, so it can be a little more complicated and require a little more in-depth uh, diagnostic understanding. All right. Now, um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would really like to talk about? Because I feel that I, I, I really want you to say something that maybe you said, gee, I wish she would have asked me that. Or um, uh, somebody might want to know this and I it's in my book, but they might not know it if they don't read past chapter one or something. Um, maybe give me uh, um, uh, the titles of, of some of the chapter names or something. You know what, honestly, uh, what, there, I, there isn't anything specific that I'm like, oh, I'm dying to tell you this other than I think the most important message is for people to know that we're all in this together. And they, if they are feeling challenged and struggling, they are not the only one. And that in and of itself can be really powerful. And if all the groups that I do um, no matter what the topic is, whether it's we're working on feedback or building resilience, or if it's a women's group, at the end of the experience, when we say what was helpful about this, almost always people say, I'm just glad I'm not the only one. Mm. 
So there still is a feeling of isolation and aloneness and loneliness. So that would be a key message. And then also just the, the empowerment that yes, even though we are facing these challenges and stressors, we can empower ourselves to enhance well-being, get better, and hopefully tap into something like that is called post-traumatic growth or post-COVID growth that I'm hoping we're right on the cusp of that. I love to hear post-traumatic positive. Like I'm yes. so used to hearing post-traumatic stress and, yes. and now it's post-traumatic growth. That is such a, um, a, you know, a positive thing to look forward to, to achieving. And it sounds like you have all of this information for the readers of your book um, to, to grow. And um, I really look forward to reading it and sharing it. And um, can you say the title of the book again, one more time for everyone? Building, building Psychological Fitness, How High Performers Achieve With Ease. With ease. That's, that's the line that I, I like, because I'm tired of struggling. <laughs> yes, we want to feel at ease, absolutely. Yes, everyone needs that. You know, you can't function at, you know, like that, that intense place all the time. You have to come down for a landing and just, you know, remember that a, a place where just if you go in your mind, I know for me, if I just, you know, try to picture myself sitting, at, you know, on the beach or, 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 or sailing, I, I love to be on the water um, in boats. And when I, I picture those things in my mind and just looking at the clouds, I could just escape that feeling for a little while of, of uh, you know, um, discomfort and reach that ease. But if I could learn how to do it every day, uh, that would be something yes. I'm bored with. For well, sure. you just described, there's a name for that, what you just described, and that's being in the state of flow. Wow. Oh, so this, this leads me to our fun question. So um, I'm going to ask you, um, if you could have a superpower, um, what would that be? Okay. Um, you know what, what I would say is if I had a superpower, it would be to be mindful and present, fully present in every moment. That is a superpower. And um, I, I think that only God, I believe, can, can achieve that. But trying to achieve it is not a waste of time. <laughs> Right. Well, it's it's a lifelong journey, and we as humans, we don't get there. So if we are engaging in the practice, because you know we get stuck in like regrets of the past, or yes. thrilling on the past, or anticipation and anxiety of the future, and that pulls us away from the here and now. And right now, we have so many distractions and channels and media and things that are pulling us from from this. That it's. Um, I think it's really impacting our mental health. It's just too much. You know, my own son is such a wise young man that one day he plays guitar and he sings. And so does my daughter, if she sees this, um, but he was playing and singing for me. And I grabbed my phone out to visit him and he stopped and he said, mom, can't you just let me sing? Like, why do you have to record? It can't we just be in the moment. And that really stopped me in my tracks and realized that my own son was just enjoying the moment of entertaining me all by himself. And I'm always entertained by him. And I was ruining it. I was ruining that moment because I had to stop and film him. I didn't need to post it because I don't even post it because he doesn't like that anyway. It was just 
just because it was becoming a habit almost. And oh, absolutely. It's a great reminder. What wisdom and insight that young man has. He really does. And, and that's what you're saying, being present in the moment and, and just being mindful for, for the here and now and, and what we can do to make ourselves, um, you know, uh, pay attention to that. And I think uh, you just reminded me of something, then uh, I'm grateful for that. And you have a great message to share with everyone. And uh, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off from Steve Lawler's uh, Legal Wolf Mental Health uh, podcast? Well, I'm just thank you. I'm grateful for the chat. And I love the work that Steve is doing. And I'm happy to be connected with you. And I love having these conversations. Well, we really appreciate having you here today and I wish you so much success on your book. And